0: Well, I feel liminal in a couple of ways. Um, One is that I'm an anthropologist directing, uh, talking to um, political scientists. um, But the other is that uh, uh, I'm the uh, transitional stage between two PowerPoint lectures. I'm just going to talk. on May 8, Abu published in al Masry newspaper a 10-point plan to restore the unity of the, Egypt, of the Egyptian revolution as expressed by Tahrir Square. While the first uh, point, realize that God alone is behind this revolution, is clearly a nod to his Salafist credentials, most of his other points, such as remember the blood of the martyrs that was shed on the, squares for, on the square for the freedom of the country, uh, excuse the other factions instead of condemning them, and unify around a common purpose, offer advice to various factions on how to return to a unity of purpose in spite of the many divisions between political entities so that the revolution does not fail to create a new Egypt better than the old. How is it that the founder of of Egyptian Islamic Jihad and organizer of Sadat's assassination, who was not even released from prison for almost five weeks after Mubarak's resignation, and who is now a political advisor for Salafist political parties that didn't participate in any organized way, in the first 18 days of Tahrir protests, can now credibly speak about the unity of Tahrir Square. How can he use the uh, plural personal pronoun to speak of our Tahrir, of what we have done and what we must do to keep the spirit of Tahrir alive? This paper is about the iterative and contingent relationship between the Egyptian revolution as a social process and the revolution as a conjuries of contested narratives through which people assign meaning to social events. I argue that while the 18 days in Tahrir Square neatly fit Victor Turner's concepts of liminality, communitas, and anti-structure, the revolution failed to exhibit the inexorable decline and fall into structure and law that Turner's model predicts. On the contrary, the the following year has seen dozens of attempts to reconstitute that experience of anti-structure. Moreover, each iteration was accompanied by contested meta-commentaries that evaluated the success or failure of each new gathering in Tahrir. These discourses constitute multiple versions of what the real uprising in Tahrir was about, and thus construct moments of meaning in the contingent unfolding experience uh, of the ongoing revolution. In speaking to the nation via al masriyun Azumar is invoking the spirit of Tahrir at a time that is particularly fraught for the Salafist movement months after their heavy election triumphs. In the wake of the rejection of uh, Sheikh Abu Ismail's um, presidential bid, the Salafis seemed to be splitting into at least three factions organized around three different potential presidential candidates. Meanwhile, Islamists protesting the uh, police and army violence last month against the pro Abu Ismail march and sit-in were joined by revolutionary socialists, uh, two unlikely fellow travelers uh, joined by a common purpose. It's in this context, where former comrades are turning on one another, and ideological opponents are rallying to the aid of their adversaries, that he invokes Tahrir Square as a symbol of Egyptian popular unity against oppression, the oppression of scap, which he used to support. One of the aspects of the Tahrir Square experience that Azumar is uh, invoking is the celebration of social cohesion, creativity, camaraderie, and enthusiasm. Uh, that uh, marks most narratives of the 18 days. One protester compared it to Brechtian theater, uh, singing, poetry recitals, philosophical discussions of human rights uh, and the dignity of mankind, political arguments about how best to move forward, uh, all happening simultaneously, commenting on one another to create a meaningful cacophony. Myriad participants and commentators have expressed their astonishment at the way that protesters pooled their skills and pitched in to organize food banks, clinics, waste management, and even the building of a small catapult to chase a sniper away from a nearby location. Those writing about experiences in Tahrir also emphasized the collapse of many of the class, gender, and sectarian distinctions that have long troubled Egypt and provided fuel for the regime's claims that it stood between a stable society and social collapse. For the protesters and many of those watching and supporting them, Tahrir represents in miniature the free nation to which they aspire, a romantic horizontalism Um, where high-energy, charismatic people step forward and offer their skills when and where they are needed. One analytically useful language for describing this is found in the work of Victor (coughs) Turner, uh, particularly his notions of liminality, communitas, and anti-structure. Turner borrowed the term liminality from ritual studies to refer to to the state of being betwixt and between two other states. Uh, In a rite of passage, for example, as people transition from a state of childhood to a state of adulthood, (coughs) Um, they often go through a period of liminality, a state of being neither a child nor an adult, uh, during which they are perceived as both dangerous and at risk, and in which they experience enormous social bonding with others in a similar state. Turner claims that many social processes, including revolutions and uprisings, have similar lim- liminal stages in which structures of everyday life of the immediate past have been disrupted and overturned, but new structures have not yet emerged to replace them a situation that he called anti-structure. Anti-structure refers not then to a reversal or upending of structure, um, but a situation in which many or most of the characteristics that defined um, the normal configuration of political, social, and economic life have ceased to function. This certainly describes the situation in Tahrir, uh, in which youth replaced elders as organizers, protests multiplied both in location and numbers, Uh, The were rendered powerless, and headless collectives emerged to manage civil society and domestic security. The creative energy and camaraderie experienced by protesters in Tahrir Square Turner calls communitas. This is an intense feeling of community, social equality, solidarity, and togetherness experienced by those who live together in a site in which the normal social statuses and positions have broken down. According to Turner, these periods of anti-structure cannot last. While they last, however, such situations have enormous transformative possibilities. And indeed, it's that sense of possibility that clearly drives the unprecedented popular struggles that we continue to see in Egypt. Azumar's invocation of Tahrir is, uh, in spite of the fact that neither he nor the group he advises took part in the encampment, um, is just one articulation of what's become a common rhetorical trope by which Tahrir Square, through synecdoche, belongs to the nation. Um, Even Field Marshal Tantawi and former Vice President Umar Suleiman in his brief presidential bid have invoked Tahrir Square as a symbol of national pride and progress, uh, and police officials have asserted that their dead deserve the same honor afforded slain protesters. What it means to have participated in Tahrir Square has thus become an astonishingly elastic category. Not everyone experienced Tahrir Square in the same ways, of course. The Madan was famously occupied around the clock by thousands who lived and slept there. Thousands more traveled to the Medan, joined the protest for a period of hours or days, then returned home, either permanently or temporarily. Others experienced Tahrir Square vicariously through the narratives of family, friends, and neighbors who participated. Others experienced the Medan in various mediated forms, through television, social media of different kinds, uh, with each medium having its own way of framing events. And nor are subjectivities limited to any one of these categories. One of my former students reported having seen the protests on television, uh, going to the madan with two friends just in time to be caught in the Battle of the Camels, returning home slightly injured to be shouted at by his mother and sisters for risking his life when he's the only adult male to head the family, uh, taking on the leadership role in the neighborhood security group, uh, talking frequently with his friends uh, who did return to Tahrir several times, following events on Al Jazeera and Dream TV, arguing with neighbors who were uh, following events on state television, following tweets uh, of some former AUC friends who were in the Madan, and watching the video clips to which the tweets referred them. And I think this kind of uh, multiplicity of experiences of Tahrir is not uncommon. In addition, of course, hundreds of thousands of Egyptians participated in marches, protests, and demonstrations in Alexandria, Ismailia, Luxor, Aswan, and elsewhere. Tahrir Square metonymically also stands for them and for their protest activities. A particularly powerful symbol of the struggle in Tahrir, invoked by Azumar, is that of the martyrs, those protesters killed by police in Balthadia, whose names and faces became widely circulated in a number of media after their deaths. The deaths of the martyrs were not merely powerful symbols of the need for change, Protesting for political reform against an oppressive regime that tortures, uh, imprisons, and kills its opponents without (coughs) respect for the law, they were themselves killed by that regime. And they are thus sacramental, in the semiotic sense proposed by uh, Gregory Bateson, signs that become what they signify. It was unthinkable that these men and women would have shed their blood for an uprising that failed. And so this symbol gets invoked again and again uh, as part of the effort to um, continue this period of liminality. The 18 Days in Tahrir Square was a process, a set of political actions that led directly to the resignation of Hosni Mubarak. But Tahrir Square, as the site of this process, and of many additional protests in in the larger ongoing process of political change, is also an extremely complex (laughs) sign with multiple meanings to those who participated in the Madan protests, not only physically, but in many different mediated ways. For Azumar, the current ongoing political situation represents anti-structure and liminality without the communitas that made the 18 days so successful, both as process and symbol. Azumar is particularly addressing Salafis whose leaders originally advised them not to support the Tahrir protests and who infamously disrupted the uh, July-Friday of Unity demonstrations in their first organized public participation in Tahrir. Now, following their election victories, Uh, Azumar positions the SCAF and remaining NDP structures as obstacles to um, uh, national reform. Now, I don't want to uh, imply that Tahrir Square has become an important symbol and, as such, uh, political football to be fought over by rival political factions. This is true, um, but it's incomplete. The reality is more complex because it makes us think about symbols not only as things, as bits of social structure expressed in a ritual way, but as processes. As uh, active agents and uh, as active vehicles and agents of change within and through political economic contexts. As Turner says, symbols and symbolic actions not only animate and are animated by contexts, but are processually inseparable from them. One way that Turner sought to express this was through a processual model of change that he called a social drama. Many forms of social change, particularly dramatic forms of social change like revolutions, Exhibit a processual structure not unlike those anthropologists have described for rituals. Social dramas begin with a breach of the structures of everyday life, uh, such as when, in defiance of historical precedent, the protesters returned to Tahrir across the bridge in the face of police resistance and successfully reoccupied the square. The ensuing crisis ushered in a period of anti structure in which the ordinary rules of governance and civility did not apply. During this crisis stage, sides are taken, coalitions are formed, fissures spread and deepen through a number of coordinated and contiguous relationships between peoples and groups. Throughout the crisis, various actors of many types seek to define the ends of the uprising and to bring some form of redress that would bring it to a successful conclusion. According to Turner, when such redress occurs, it allows the society to reintegrate in a modified way, to create some entirely new social structure, or to break apart into new factions and political orders. The 18 days in Tahrir can be neatly mapped onto this model, including with the national celebration of Mubarak's resignation. The subsequent revolution is much harder to clarify uh, through this processual model. As Turner himself admitted, it's hard to tell uh, whether what one is observing at any given moment in the series is a breach, a crisis, or an application of regressive machinery. The first problem of processual analysis, then, is a problem of contingency. If every event is simultaneously a product of prior events and part of the events to come, how does one know when and where to demarcate the beginnings and endings of the process? How do we know what, each function, um, what function each protest, each clash, each election, uh, each ju- judicial decision serves in the larger whole when the larger whole has no clear end point? Rather than speaking of a revolution, perhaps it would be analytically more helpful to talk about this process as involving as many proto-revolutions as there are uh, protest movements um, and increasing numbers of protest actors as groups uh, schism around um, uh, different kinds of issues. It's useful to recall, too, how contingent were those original 18 days of protest. Many people who supported the initial protest were willing to say by the 29th, when Mubarak sacked the cabinet, or by February 1st, when he pledged not to run for a sixth term, or by February 3rd, after Suleiman's speech, or by the 10th, or so forth, that they had accomplished enough, and now it was time to stop. These included people actively protesting (coughs) in the Medan, saying that enough was enough, the point had been made, concessions had been offered, it was time to stop. I have an email from a professor of literature at Ayn Shams who uh, went to Tahrir on the 26th and 27th, and by the 29th was arguing that the protests had been hijacked by people with political agendas, and the protesters should go home and wait for the reforms that their actions would engender. Um, Other protesters had high hopes and ambitions, but became demoralized at certain points and were willing to stop only to be regalvanized by such events as news of fresh protests in Alexandria Mm -hmm. or Ismailia or by Wael Gronin's February 7 television interview. The variety of opinions present in Tahrir Square about why people were there, what they could seriously hope to accomplish, and what they were risking, not only personally, but in terms of the nation, was broad and variable. The unity of Tahrir Square uh, worked rhetorically, uh, uh, invoked rhetorically by Azumar, is a negotiated unity. Uh, one that was continually being argued, debated, and reassessed in the light of shifting events while it was occurring. It's only after the celebrations of Mubarak's resignation that a simple framing of the 18 days as a clash between the regime and a rainbow cross-section of Egyptians from all walks of life, uh, unified by their opposition to the president, becomes almost universally salient. So the problem of contingency, of how to describe and analyze a process as it's unfolding, Um, is an enormous problem um, that I think has been reflected in a lot of the conversations uh, this weekend. The second problem is the problem of agency. What control do any of these various participants with their different fears and visions have over the final narrative of events? How is closure to be collectively determined? How are the meanings of various events and actions created and constrained? A significant part of the problem of agency is not only how agency (coughs) is exerted in social process and toward what ends but who the agents are. It's common, because it's convenient to speak of SCAF and the Muslim Brotherhood, the Salafis, the the secularists, Shabab al facebook and others, uh, as if they're coherent groups that act in uniform. In fact, however, all all these groups are internally divided. The divisions gain and lose salience over time, um, and their divisions often turn around exactly how those institutions should act with regard to the ongoing uprisings. Indeed, as has been mentioned, Azumar is uh, proposing his 10 points at a time when the fractures within the Salafist movements have become particularly evident, as many Salafists refused to protest the rejection of Sheikh Abu Ismail's candidacy, and the Sheikh repeatedly disowned some of his own supporters. Uh, an additional complication was created by the fact that the media are both vehicles and agents in this process. The media are vehicles through which the struggles over the appropriation of the revolution proceed, through which actors present themselves and their visions publicly, and through which coherent narratives of events are offered, contested, and transformed. At the same time, the media are also active agents who create, sustain, and refuse various narratives based on their own positioning within Egypt's media ecology. Meanwhile, social media has exploded with thousands of new blogs and Facebook pages, including those of current and former government officials Uh, expressing any number of possible scenarios about what Egypt needs to do next. Clearly, both the revolution and the discourses that seek to comment on it and sort out its meanings remain contingent, contested parts in a larger process that we have been calling the revolution, uh, or the ongoing revolution, the continuing revolution. Multiple voices struggle with various and changing degrees of agency to determine which narrative will become the dominant narrative that gives coherence to the whole process. Although the ongoing protests continue to bring about changes, at every stage there are many voices, articulated through multiple media, who insist that the uprising must stop here, (coughs) and that further protests are unnecessary and might do more harm than good. So when is there enough revolution? When is the disruption of the structures of everyday life too frightening and dangerous to go on? Is it when wealthy resort owners complain of losing a million pounds a day and lost tourist revenue on TV? Is it when the police disappear and carjackings and kidnappings rise? Is it when the prisons are open and criminals walk free? Is it when tour guides in Luxor and Siwa can no longer eke out a modest living? Is it when traffic is disrupted and shops close? Is it when people fear that their bread rations might become unavailable? Is the revolution over when the new constitution is written? When the president is elected? When the SCAF returns to its barracks? When the emergency laws are finally ended? when some new normalcy has emerged, and how will we identify it when it's there. Egypt is currently in an extended liminal state, betwixt the structural coherence of the former regime and whatever new normal may ultimately emerge. Liminal states are defined in part by the tension they pose between possibility and danger, between hope and risk. The desire of many people for a swift uh, shift to order and predictability because of political and social economic risks posed by the transformative capacities of luminality, are just as real as the desire for many others to keep the revolution going out of hope that a better future uh, Egypt is yet attainable. And amid all of this contingency, Tahrir Square has become a key symbol that political actors can employ to anchor their narratives of the revolution. Tahrir can be appropriated by state television and other agents of the ruling military council whose interests are best served by emphasizing the risks of the ongoing period of anti-structure, and who now characterize the 18 days in Tahrir Square as being the true revolution, all subsequent demonstrations, clashes, and protests being mere hooliganism, not in the best long-term interests of the country. (laughs) It can also be appropriated by the agents of those demonstrations, flashes, and protests interests are best served by emphasizing the hopes and possibilities of revolution, and, are thus, uh, and who thus posit the revolution represented by Tahrir Square as incomplete, and use it as a trope to justify their current actions. And it can also be appropriated by someone like Azumar, and used to reposition groups and activities in the light of changing political contexts. As events continue to unfold in Egypt, Tahrir Square will continue to be invoked and appropriated, its meanings continually redefined and contested, as it is employed to give coherence to Egypt's ongoing process of transformation. Thank you.